Habakkuk 1, if you are not there already, Habakkuk 1, we'll be looking at the first four verses this morning. Habakkuk 1. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we gather here, our hearts proclaim now in prayer, even as we have just confessed in song, hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the cross. For you are a just God. And in the cross of Jesus Christ, you are both just and justifier, as Paul proclaims in Romans. And there is hope for us. Hallelujah for the cross. You are a gracious and a merciful God. And yet you cannot overlook our sin and our unrighteousness. And so we proclaim hallelujah for the cross. What hope there is for us, for we who are sinners. Even this morning, as we have focused on your justice, we've come face to face with our sin, and we're forced to recognize the reality that we are hopelessly lost, but by the grace of God alone in Christ. And so we come this morning not hopelessly, but hopeful in Christ alone. And we pray this morning as we turn to this passage, this very heavy and difficult four verses, that you would open our eyes, that you would give us a passion for holiness, a love for your word, a burden for the lost, that you would challenge us and change us this morning through your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Back at one. Hopefully everyone made it through that prayer alive. <laughs> Something going on out there. Habakkuk 1, verses 1 to 4 this morning. You've probably noticed throughout life, as you kind of focus in on something, you'll start to notice that thing in other places. Uh, if you are looking at getting a new phone, you'll notice other people who have that phone. When I was a kid, we'd play this game uh, called Punch Bug. Whenever you saw a Volkswagen Beetle, if you were the first one to see it, you could punch your sibling in the shoulder very hard and say, Punch Bug, as long as you're the first one to see it. It's amazing how many beetles you see when you're looking for them. You don't really recognize them if, you don't, if you're not looking for them, but when you're looking for them, they show up everywhere. We had another game we'd play with cars. Uh, it was called a beaver car. Uh, it's those Jeeps and those hatchbacks that had the wood on the side, the wood paneling that ran this long. And every time you'd see one of those, uh, we'd say, beaver car. And whoever saw the most beaver cars would win uh, whatever trip we were on. It's amazing how many of those 
cars you see when you're looking for them. You, they don't, you don't see them when you're not, but when you're looking for them, you'll pass tons of them. I feel kind of that way with the book of Habakkuk. A few weeks ago, as I knew we were coming towards the end of uh, John, I started looking at where we were going to go next. Uh, and I, I, as I studied, I looked. I didn't, I didn't, after finishing a book like John and, and being on that long journey for, for over a year and a half, I didn't want to jump into another big book, right? I feel like we kind of need a breath, something short, something, you know, we're not, we're not setting out on a two-year journey here. So I wanted something short. Uh, I love the prophets, and so I often go back and look there. And I just felt like the Lord was leading uh, us to Habakkuk the more I came and, and looked at it and studied it. It's amazing, in my conversations with other pastors and ministry leaders over the last several weeks, how many of them have said, you know, when I ask them, what are you preaching through? And how many of them have said, we just finished Habakkuk, or we're getting ready to go through Habakkuk, or we're, we're in Habakkuk. I, I haven't talked to anyone who's talked about Habakkuk in the last, like, ten years. But in the last four weeks, it seems like everyone is studying Habakkuk. In fact, yesterday at the men's retreat, uh, the guy leading the songs, Greg Gosnell, is the pastor at Horton Baptist Church, uh, he mentioned... Um, before one of the songs he sang, he said, you know, our church has been going through the book of Habakkuk. I was standing next to Kyle, and I turned to him, and I was like, he's like the 10th person who said that. We're going through Habakkuk starting tomorrow. Habakkuk. It's a small book, but it's a good book. I'm excited for what the Lord will teach us uh, through these few chapters. As you come to any book of the Bible, it's important to understand the context. Not just where are we in the Bible, where are we in biblical history, where are we in, in just history, what's going on. And so as you come to Habakkuk, we're not told that much about Habakkuk. In fact, it's, it's one of the, the books that doesn't give us any kind of historical uh, marker. There's no king, there's no dates that are given. Later on in the book, the circumstances kind of help us to zero in. As you come to the circumstances of the book, as you look at the book as a whole, it seems that we're sometime between 608 to 605 B.C. And Habakkuk lives in a very violent and wicked day. In fact, just to kind of give us a, a running start, 608 to 605 B.C., we're going to back up to 640 B.C. Josiah becomes king. Josiah is... Young, he's eight years old when he begins to, run, to reign. Uh, you can see uh, kind of the story surrounding Habakkuk in 2 Chronicles 35 or uh, 2 Kings 23 to 25 really starts back with Josiah. And Josiah is a king who does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. He brings much reform, much spiritual reform to Judah. You may remember the stories during his reign. He, he starts young as an eight-year-old. During his reign, the high priest finds the, the copy of the law in the temple. He reads it to Josiah. Josiah is convicted. He reads it to the people and he leads the people in reform. He restores. He tears down the, the high places, the idolatry. He executes these false priests. He, 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 he helps the people start again to practice the Passover. I mean, they had fallen far from the Lord. And he, there was much reform during his time. 
In fact, as you come to the end of his life uh, in 2 Kings 23, verses 25, um, uh, we'll start in verse 34. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. His reign is really kind of a, a high point in, in Judah. Near the end of his reign, there's things going on in the world. Assyria has been the, the reigning world power. And yet, near the end of Josiah's reign, Assyria is starting to fall off. And, and Babylon is rising up in the world. And Babylon is, is conquering Assyria. And there's this pharaoh down in Egypt, Pharaoh Necho. And he sees an opportunity. As Babylon is rising up, as Assyria, this world power, is, is losing its grip, he sees an opportunity to, to, to race north, to assist Assyria, and to implement his power and his influence. And so he, he marches his army north, up through Israel. Josiah now, at the end of his reign, takes his army. For some reason, he goes out to Megiddo, and he challenges Pharaoh Necho. He's conquered. Josiah is killed. Pharaoh Necho continues to go forth. He goes forward to join Assyria. Assyria is conquered. That is in 609 BC that uh, Josiah is killed. Assyria is conquered by Babylon. After Josiah is killed and Pharaoh Necho continues north in Jerusalem, those in Judah, they set up Josiah's younger son, Jehoiahaz. He's made king following Josiah's death. And he reigned for, for three months. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, we are told. After Pharaoh Necho marches north, Assyria is overthrown. His armies are defeated. He marches back south through Judah, which he has now conquered. And he sets up a puppet king. He deposes, deposes Jehoiahaz, takes him back to uh, Egypt with him where Jehoiahaz dies. And Pharaoh Necho sets up Jehoiakim who reigns from 609 to 598. He sets up Jehoiakim as a puppet king under the authority of Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim is Josiah's older son. He's placed on the throne in Jerusalem by Pharaoh Necho. He levied heavy taxes on the people for Pharaoh Necho and he did evil in the sight of the Lord just like his brother. So this is the setting as we come to Habakkuk. Sometime between 608 to 605 BC. He lives in a very violent and wicked day. He's seen kings rise up and fall. Armies march through. He's seen a world power be wiped out. He's seen his own people go from Josiah's reign where there was no king like him who did all that was in the law, who turned to follow the Lord with all his heart and mind to Jehoiakim, this evil and wicked man. His own people run right back 
to the idolatry of the kings before him, his grandfather, Manasseh. So all this is going on. Just for a little bit more context, Habakkuk then, if in this time, uh, he is a um, contemporary of Jeremiah. So just think of Jeremiah's ministry and everything that is going on. He's called the weeping prophet. That's the same thing that's going on now in Habakkuk's day. And so what you find as you come to Habakkuk, especially here at the beginning in these first four verses, and really throughout the rest of the book, Habakkuk, it takes the form of one long lament. We've been going through the Psalms. We've seen several laments. Habakkuk is one long lament, and we are invited to walk this road from fear and uncertainty and hopelessness to the end. Or Habakkuk is encouraged in his faith. We walk this road with Habakkuk in these few chapters. It's a unique book. The first uh, chapter and a half is a conversation between God and Habakkuk, where Habakkuk brings these complaints to God, and then God responds. And then you have these woes that are put forth, this judgment that is proclaimed, and then Habakkuk ends with a song. And it's fascinating, this, this book that ends with such hopelessness here in these first four verses, begins with such hopelessness, ends with such hope. I'm excited to go on this journey with you, and I hope that you are excited as well. We're jumping into a very violent and wicked day. The first thing we see is Habakkuk's burden in the very first verse. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. That burden, it's the idea of the message, the, the prophecy that Habakkuk has given. It's the idea of an oracle. In fact, we see the same word uh, just a year or so ago. He we went through the book of Malachi. Malachi starts with that same thing, the, the burden or the oracle of Malachi. The burden, is, is there a better word to describe the message of a prophet proclaiming judgment? That's not an easy message. The message is a burden in and of itself. It's a weighty message of judgment used by prophets to announce God's wrath against sin. It's used in Isaiah and Nahum and Zechariah and in Malachi. The burden. This is a heavy message. This is not something that Habakkuk takes pleasure in. His message is his burden. The message which the prophet Habakkuk saw. We don't know a lot about Habakkuk. He's not mentioned anywhere else. He's only identified here by his name and occupation. He is Habakkuk and he is a prophet of the Lord. And he saw this. It takes the form of a vision. So this is his burden. We should come to verses 2 to 4 then. This where we'll be the rest of the time this morning. We see Habakkuk's first complaint. You may have noticed when I read it earlier in the service how, how hopeless this sounds. There's not, you know, Habakkuk's not rejoicing here. In fact, he starts with the same, the, the cry of lament. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? How long? 
As we've worked our way through the Psalms on Wednesday, we've heard David with that same cry time and time again, Oh Lord, how long must I cry? And it's not just that he is crying, but look at this next word, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. It's not just that I'm crying out and I see no change. I'm crying out and I see no evidence that you hear. How hopeless to cry into the dark and see no response. How long shall I cry? It implies that Habakkuk has been crying to the Lord for an extended time. This is not his first time. This is a cry, a prayer that he has echoed time and time again. And he finds himself still with no answer. How long shall I cry and you will not hear? In fact, notice where he goes now. Even cry out to you, violence and you will not save. These aren't just general cries. You know, Lord, save your people. Lord, save your people. It's almost as if here he's, he's showing God evidence of the wickedness that is going on. These aren't just general cries. He's, he's going out onto the streets and he's saying, God, look at that violence. Look at this wickedness. There's an example, and there's an example, and there's an example. And where are you? Pointing out specific sin as if God had missed it. Look at the violence. I mean, God had once flooded the whole earth in response to man's violence, and yet now he seems to overlook the violence of his own people. Where are you, God? Habakkuk's complaint here takes the form of two questions. How long, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? And why, in verse 3, why do you show me iniquity? Why do you show me iniquity? Not only do I cry out and I don't see you, I don't hear you, I see no evidence that you are there or that you see what is going on. But when I look, what I do see is wickedness and injustice. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. And put yourself in a back and choose how hopeless is his situation. Think of his ministry and what he has seen in his life going from Josiah, I mean, what, what hope there must have been in Judah and Josiah's reign for the faithful. What a great time to be a prophet. 
to proclaim the message of the Lord. And yet how devastating after his death to see the people run so quickly back to their idols and their violence and their sin. In fact, notice the repetition here in verse in these first four verses. The, rep- the, the repetition is representative of just how wicked they are. There is violence, iniquity, trouble, plundering, strife, and contention. Every form of wickedness I can imagine. I, I, I see it. It's all around me. It surrounds me. The streets are flooded with violence. And where are you, God? You see, this is Habakkuk's complaint. It takes the form of these two questions, how long and why, but this is really what it comes down to. God appears to be indifferent to Judah's sin. From Habakkuk's perspective, God appears to be indifferent to Judah's sin. In fact, Habakkuk is sent to preach a message that he feels more committed to, he feels more zealous for, than God himself is. He feels more zealous for God's holiness and justice than God himself is. I'm preaching God. I'm proclaiming your justice. I'm proclaiming your holiness. I'm proclaiming who you are. But you're not showing up. I'm preaching a message that you're not giving me any evidence of. I preach justice and there's no justice. I proclaim holiness and unrighteousness thrives. The wicked triumph. And you seem indifferent. Where are you, God? And the most frustrating thing to Habakkuk must have been the fact that he is praying a prayer that he knows God should answer. He knows that he's praying according to the the character of God. I know that you are just. I know that you are holy. I know that you love those things and you want to see them. Your law proclaims it. And I'm praying this prayer. I want to see it. And yet I hear silence. How long, Lord? How long will I cry and you won't hear? And as I cry and you are silent, I don't see your justice. I see wickedness and violence. So verse 4. Therefore, because I cry out to you and I don't hear you, because I don't see you, because violence floods the streets, Because I see iniquity and trouble and strife and contention. Therefore, the law is powerless. The law is numb. 
A law with no penalty is a law with no power. It's powerless. Your people ignore the law. And when you see law there, don't think just the Ten Commandments. The idea of the, the law is everything revealed about God. All of the scriptures up until this point. Yes, it's the, the Ten Commandments. It's the, the law that teaches of God's holiness. It's, it's also what's been revealed of God's mercy and love and grace. But the law is powerless. Your people ignore the law. And because they ignore the law, they don't know you. They don't know your justice. They don't know your holiness. They don't know your mercy and your grace and your love and your, your, your loving kindness, your care, your power. And why should they? There's no reason for them to turn or to recognize the law because your justice is not going forth. Because you're not acting God. And justice never goes forth. They ignore the law and they don't know you. And God seems to ignore their sin. And so they never see God's justice. Where are you, God? Because the law is powerless and because justice never goes forth, the wicked surround the righteous. The righteous are overrun. They are outnumbered. And they suffer greatly. The wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. I love the ESV, the way the ESV uh, phrases it, justice is perverted. Wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice is perverted. When the wicked judge, they judge wickedly. And God's not judging. So the wicked are free to do what they want. As we come to the end of these four verses here at the beginning of Habakkuk, this is the setting for this book. This is Habakkuk's perspective as he sits here. The wicked flourish. The righteous suffer. Yet the Lord is silent. Where are you, God? It's not a fun or an easy passage this morning. It's very heavy. Next week, as we turn to Habakkuk 5 and following, we'll see the Lord will respond. He will answer Habakkuk. But as we come to the end of these four verses, we find ourselves in a very tough place. But it sets the stage for the rest of the book. And in the end, this is what we'll see. In the end, we'll see that Habakkuk is both a message of hope and a model of faith in the darkest of days. It may not seem like that at the beginning. 
It may not seem like that as Habakkuk brings this first complaint as we see the situation in which he finds himself in a very violent and wicked day. And in fact, in these four four verses, Habakkuk's not even worried about what Pharaoh Necho is doing. He's not worried about what Babylon is doing. He's focusing on Judah. This is your people, God. Violence is flourishing in your streets of Jerusalem. There are altars set up to false gods where yours should be. It is your people that are wicked. And yet throughout this book, as the Lord responds, Habakkuk becomes both a message of hope and a model of faith in the darkest of days. So application, what does this mean for me? What can we possibly take from these four verses? Number one, this. Be passionate for holiness. See, it's not wrong for Habakkuk to cry for justice. He wants a good thing. And it's not, it's not hate that fuels Habakkuk's prayer of complaint. It's not that he just wants to see his enemies destroyed. These are his people that he's praying about. He wants to see justice in Jerusalem. Not because he hates them. But because he loves them. Because he has a passion for God's holiness. Not because he's a legalist, but because he loves the Lord his God. He wants his people to have a glorious vision of the holiness of God. To see how great their God is and to turn to him. That's what he longs for. He longs for God's glory to shine forth from Jerusalem. For him to get the glory that he deserves, that is what he longs for. And so I think one thing that we can learn from these first verses is we can be challenged by Habakkuk's passion for holiness and justice. Oh, if that would grip our hearts this morning. A passion for holiness. If the church would be passionate for the holiness of God. Instead, we make excuses for our sin. We laugh at unrighteousness. We make excuses for what we watch on Netflix. We purposefully seek out pornography. Opportunity to fulfill our lusts. And then we come to church on Sunday and we feel good about ourselves. We tell ourselves it's not that big of a deal. It is. 
Because your sin separates you from God and your sin condemns you to hell. Sin is a big deal. Church, you are called to be holy as your God is holy. To be set apart. May the Lord open our eyes to our sin. May he break our hearts in repentance and give us a passion for holiness. May we burn with this passion for holiness like Habakkuk. God, I want to see this in my day, in my church, in my city. Number one, may he give us a passion for holiness. Number two, may we be bold in prayer. See, Habakkuk 1, these first four verses, it is very heavy. But the reality is that there are probably some here this morning who Habakkuk puts into words the very cry of your heart. Where are you, God? I cry out, and yet all I see is wickedness that thrives. The evil who triumph, I don't see you, God. I've cried out day after day, month after month, year after year, and there is no response. Where are you, God? If that's you, I would call you this morning to be bold in prayer. Cry out to your God. He does here. Pour out to your heart to the God who loves you and who hears you. Your hope is in Christ alone. And while you are bold in prayer, be patient in faith. Don't lose hope. Wait patiently for your God. Because those of you who are in Christ, I promise you that he loves you. I promise you that he sees you. He knows exactly the road that you are on. I promise you that he has put you there and that he is working for your good. And I promise you this morning that he will make all things new and he will complete what he has begun. Don't lose hope. Wait on the Lord. Be passionate for holiness. Oh, that the church would, that that would grip our hearts. Be passionate for holiness. Be bold in prayer. Be patient in faith. And in all of this, submit your perspective to the sovereign hands of your good God. It might feel hopeless this morning. It might feel like God doesn't see, that God doesn't hear, but I promise you, he does. Your perspective, you may not be able to see clearly, but God does. Submit your perspective to the sovereign hands of your good God. I promise you he knows what he's doing. I promise you it's for his, your good and his glory. And I promise you that he will make all things new. Even in a heavy passage like this, there is hope for us. As we start on this road, 
And we will see Habakkuk's hope. We will see as he models faith in even the darkest of days. But even as we start, notice in these first four verses, Habakkuk cries out to the Lord because he knows who the Lord is. Because he knows that he is his refuge and hope. Because even though he feels like the Lord doesn't see and know, and here, he does. I think you see evidence of that even in his prayer. Notice, oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? It's not that you can't hear. You're choosing not to. For some reason, I don't know what it is. But you choose not to hear. I even cry out to you, and you will not save. It's not that you cannot. You're choosing not to. I don't understand it. Why do you show me iniquity? Even there, there's a recognition of the sovereignty of God. I see evil. I see violence. I see wickedness. And I don't understand it, but I know it's you that's showing me this. I just don't get it. You cause me to see trouble. Even in these first four verses, as, as, as difficult as they are, as heavy as they are, Habakkuk cries out to the Lord because he knows who he is. Even here, there's evidence. I don't see it, God. I'm crying out. I feel like you're not hearing me. I don't know why this is what you are showing me. This makes no sense to me. But I know you're sovereign. I know you're in control. I know you are good. Answer me, God. Answer me. Give me hope. Work all things for good. May God give us a, passionate, a passion for holiness, boldness in prayer, and patience in faith, even in the darkest of days.